Copy Room Conversations is brought to you in partnership with Dirt Path Publishing. What started as a small independent publishing house dedicated to publishing work for social impact now also includes coaching and editing services for writers led by a small and mighty team of former high school teachers. These folks know how to have the hard conversations writers need to have in service to producing their very best work. And they know how to have those hard conversations with love. For more information about coaching and editing services for writers, visit dirtpathpublishing.com. Lydia McClanahan is the friend and colleague I always wanted. She's funny, kind, thoughtful, and real. She unabashedly loves our kids, especially the feisty ones. While we approach our work differently, me linearly and logically, her circularly and creatively, in most ways related to home and life and work, we are of the same heart. Lydia was an English teacher for many years, including spending a decade as a teacher at the Culture and Language Academy for Success, or CLASS, founded by Dr. Shiraki Holly. Built on the theories of Dr. Gloria Ladson-Billings and others who came before us, Dr. Holly and his colleagues, Lydia among them, built CLASS as a laboratory school, run in service to the knowing that culturally and linguistically responsive teaching, when done with fidelity, consistency, and outrageous love, works for our kids who are predictably and pervasively shut out of academic success in traditional schools. Several years after founding the school, Dr. Holly went on to open the Center for Culturally and Linguistically Responsive Teaching and Learning, an education nonprofit dedicated to supporting teachers around the country with this work. My district brought him in to give a talk in 2010, and I found his work deeply compelling. The more I learned and practiced, the more my kids who I had previously struggled to engage started to thrive. At the end of two years of study and application, the results were so strong I knew I needed more. So I hustled my way into a part-time job with the center, doing demo lessons and instructional coaching that I could do locally once a month with a sick day. On my very first assignment, I met Lydia. I was set to do a demo lesson and was so nervous. Lydia came to observe me to make sure I was legit. She could see my commitment and practice pay off into a pretty great first demo lesson. And ever since, she's been my number one cheerleader. Lydia's genius is quiet, and she doesn't always allow me to brag on her. So when I started Copy Room Conversations, I knew immediately I wanted to form a collaboration with her in the work of her heart, Responsive Reads, to share her and that quiet genius with you. My intention for this podcast is to serve teachers well, so that when an episode is over, they have gathered a bit more fuel to serve our kids well. While the episodes are largely reflective, I do know we love our practical application more than anything. So what better way to tie in that practicality than with Lydia and her deep knowledge of culturally authentic texts? From her, we can start to learn about what makes a text authentic, get a great idea for a book we might be able to use in our classrooms, and get some ideas for culturally responsive instruction in the process. Each season, Lydia will join us to talk about the theme of the season and a related text. This season was initially going to be about mentoring, but in listening back to all the episodes with the mobs, I realized it was really about belonging. In this episode, Lydia and I talk about belonging and the book Harbor Me by Jacqueline Woodson. Together, 
Lydia and this book capture the very essence of the notion that there is no such thing as other people's children, that in fact, we belong to one another. Welcome to the show, Lydia McClanahan. Thank you. I'm so happy you're here. So a little backstory on us. We've worked together, Lydia, how long? Almost 10 years. At the uh, Center for Culturally and Linguistically Responsive Teaching and Learning. Um, and we're old pals in work and in life, which is such yes. a gift to me. Yes. Um, and I've asked you to come to the podcast today because I want to start a little collaboration, collab, as the kids say, um, with your uh, your business, Responsive Reads and Coffee Room Conversations. So um, I want to dig into your teaching a little bit, but first I wonder if you could tell us what Responsive Reads is and what you all do, and then um, and then we'll we'll jump in. Okay. So responsive reads is really my effort to highlight um, texts by and about marginalized people, BIPOC people, marginalized groups of people. Highlight the stories, perspectives, and experiences for the purposes of getting these books into classrooms um, for the for use by teachers. And so I highlight, highlight different texts from picture books all the way up to um, books for high school and everything in between, nonfiction text, um, fiction text, novels, early chapter books, all of the above. Mm-hmm. For, for use by teachers. Um, and I also offer samples of how they can teach those books in a culturally and linguistically responsive way. And so that's really what Responsive Reads is. That's so exciting. Okay, we're going to dig more into that. I want to back up a little bit. You okay. were a high school English teacher for many, many yes. years. And yeah. so high school I, and middle school, high school, high school and, middle, and middle, school. middle school. Okay. Yes. And I, I want to hear about that. But first, um, tell us a little backstory, how you came to be a teacher, um, how, you know, your experience in school and maybe how that informed you becoming a teacher. And then tell us a little bit about your teaching career and then how that led you then to responsive reads. Okay. So I had a very middle-class upbringing, um, grew up in the view park area of Los Angeles and it's sort of a well-known, um, area of, of Los Angeles, middle-class, upper middle-class African-American neighborhood that that's been home to many, you know, um, over the years, you know, back in back, far back, like when my parents first moved here, the likes of like Ray Charles and Tina Turner lived in the neighborhood. Oh. And more recently, like Regina King grew up in this neighborhood and Issa Rae grew up in, in my neighborhood. Mm. Very middle class. I used to um, kind of say I, I grew up in kind of like a Cosby household, but I don't use that reference anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but but basically professional people. It's a, it's a, it's a neighborhood yeah. of, of, of 
of professional working professionals, you know, white collar black people, right? Mm -hmm. That's really, you know, doctors, lawyers, engineers. My dad was an engineer and, you know, mom was a nurse. And so that's, that's how I grew up, um, Mm -hmm. the neighborhood that I grew up in. And I was a, you know, I was a reader. I was always a reader. And so that sort of gave me access and the ability to be successful in traditional school. Mm-hmm. And, and just, I was a reader. I was a quiet kid. I was a shy kid. And so I did, I knew how to do school very well. Mm-hmm. I was the kid who was like, yes, please give me the list of 20 vocabulary words <laughs> and I will write the definitions, memorize them and get an A on the test. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I wasn't like a straight A student, but I was very comfortable being successful in school for the most part. It wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't necessarily excited about school, but academically I did, I did. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I came into teaching by accident. I was actually interested in years and years ago, I was interested in fashion journalism mm. and I went to the fashion Institute after I graduated from high school. I went to the fashion Institute. Oh my God. I didn't know that. <laughs> I did. I worked retail for many, many years and I, and I, and I enjoyed writing. I enjoyed reading and writing and, and I decided I wanted to pursue a a career in fashion journalism. And so I was um, going to the fashion Institute and I graduated from there and I was starting to pursue um, um, a career in the fashion industry and, and it's kind of a start from the bottom kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But once I started working in the industry, I realized that I didn't like it. It wasn't a very nice mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. People weren't very nice. Mm-hmm. And I had talked to one of my teachers that was at the, the Fashion Institute. And she said, well, you know, you're, you're a good writer. You're a really good writer. And you mm-hmm. need to pursue this in some way. And you should go back to school. Because the Fashion Institute was a two-year, was a two-year program. And so she said, you should go back to school. So I got this job. I was going to go back to school and I got this job at Crenshaw High School as a teaching assistant. Mm. And it was just going to be a thing to do to support myself while I was in school. And I fell in love with it. Mm. And I took a hard turn (laughs) and started, per, went back to school and got my, um, my, got my degree and got my teaching credential. And that's how I ended up. And I was at Crenshaw high school. I started, I was a teaching assistant at Crenshaw high school because my mom was good friends with the principal. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and that's where I got, that's where I got my, my start, um, oh as a, as a teacher. And I, I was at Crenshaw for a while and I was actually like a long-term sub. They didn't have any positions for me. And so I was a long-term sub there for a few years, but it was always in English, always, you know, in an English class. And then um, Mr. Travis Keel, who was assistant principal, got a principal job at Audubon, which was a feeder school, you know, right down the street from Crenshaw. Mm-hmm. And he said, come with me. I want you to come with me to oh. Audubon. I have a position for you. And I was like, middle school? but I went and then I fell in love with that even more Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and that's you know how it how it started and that's where I met Dr. Shiraki Holly Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. at while I was working at Audubon. And then he um, started a school and I went with him. I left LA Unified to go and teach at the, um, at class, Cultural Language Academy of Success. Mm-hmm. And I taught there for 10 years. Mm. And that's my, and that, that's what got me into, into this, this work that, you know, kind of veered my path mm-hmm. to this, to this And then work. you went back to school again when class closed to become yes. a librarian. Yes, I did. I went back to get my MLIS and I was kind of thinking, um, you know, class closed and I was out of the classroom and I was kind of thinking, okay, like what's your second act going to be? What are you going to do? And so I went back to school um, and got my MLIS from San Jose State University mm-hmm. and haven't really pursued that. haven't really pursued that, but, but it, it does offer perspective in terms of the work that we do coaching. It offers perspective mm-hmm. in terms of the work that I do with responsive reads and allows me to sort of connect and understand, you know, how that works in terms of school librarians, librarianship, and that sort of informational, mm-hmm. informational science, library science and literacy. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, it helps. It's, it helps. For sure. I mean, I think there's a whole untapped lane of work for you to consult with librarians on what it means to stock a culturally authentic library. So um, tell us when we say culturally authentic, what does that mean? What what is, as opposed to um, the other two levels of of how you would characterize text? Can you take us through that? Right, so I think um, culturally authentic means that they are texts that or materials, texts or materials that reflect and represent the authentic perspectives and experiences of marginalized groups. Mm-hmm. And it's not just about representation, which I think we we kind of get confused and people get excited about it. And of course, you know, representation matters mm-hmm. to a point, mm-hmm. but then it's not just about seeing a face that I connect to or seeing a name I connect to or seeing a neighborhood I connect to, but it's also about that representation reflecting my actual experience, Mm -hmm. um, my actual life, um, my life perspectives and experiences. And so the difference is that it is not just a brown face on a cover or a brown face or um, a name that I I can connect to or something that I can connect to just as representation, but that it actually reflects the experiences of a group of people. Mm-hmm. And you use the word in your work um, nuance a lot. So when yes. you think about cultural and linguistic nuance, yes, um, yes. and and that being a marker for authenticity, is that right? Yes, 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 absolutely. Because I think when we're talking about the rings of culture, when we're talking about the iceberg concept of culture and the elements of culture that that are present in every single human being's life, mm-hmm. there are little nuances there. There, it's it's layered, it's complex, and there are nuances that something that may jump out at me mm-hmm. as a black woman 
mm-hmm. that might not jump out at somebody else that I go like, that's, that's about me. Like, oh, mm-hmm. wow. That's exactly how I would say it. Oh, mm-hmm. that's exactly, that's exactly how my mother would say it. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes me think of, I, I watched a, um, I was watching this, this show that was an interview of Jaleel White, who played Urkel mm-hmm. on Family mm-hmm. Matters. <laughs> And he was talking about his experience on Family Matters. And he said Mm -hmm. that that um, it was problematic in the beginning and maybe for the whole thing. But he said, you know, there were there were Jewish male writers who were writing who were writing dialogue for this black family. Mm. And he said, you know, when you go back and watch it you realize like the words that are coming out of these people's mouths, Mm -hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't match. And that's what I'm talking about. It's like Mm -hmm. a black, a black person or a black family would recognize that what, what that character is saying is Mm -hmm. not what I would say. Mm -hmm. It's not how it, how they're handling that situation is not how I would handle that situation. And Mm -hmm. those, those things are very, those, those differences in how a Jewish mother would say something versus how a black mother would say something or react to a situation mm-hmm. it's very it's very nuanced the differences are very nuanced right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that's so I, what i'm hearing though is that there's a recognition i see oh, myself and not absolutely. just as the face right and then i also think too you know you oh, recently in movies you'll see like the gay best friend right and mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. the sidekick right mm-hmm. and it's it's there's also a centering I think, isn't there that it's not just the gay best friend, but let's actually tell the story of the gay kid who is the best friend. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so when we're talking about culturally neutral or culturally generic texts, the stories for culturally, for culturally generic texts are usually, or neutral texts are, are mainstream centered stories. They're Mm -hmm. about something else entirely. Mm-hmm. But in a culturally authentic text, the stories are the stories do center whatever whatever group it is that you know the the group and the things that matter mm-hmm. to um, to that group, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's it's not just a book about um, you know Native Americans, but it might center the the tragedy and the importance of how many native American women are missing. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what the story is about and how, and how a family or how a group or how a community um, feels neglected or feels unseen or feels mm-hmm. whatever it is and moving mm-hmm. through their daily life. Right. And it's mm-hmm. from that perspective. Right. Um, right. And that's, and that's very important that, that, that those, that those voices and perspectives and lives are centered in the themes, in the stories, in the text, and they're not secondary or superficial. Yeah, yeah, that's so great. And then you also said that you provide sample materials. So um, we're gonna talk about a book in a moment that aligns with our season this, this season. And I also want to make sure we talk about those materials because in our work that you and I do together for the center, the focus is really on instruction, right? Yes. And culturally responsive instruction. And what you are doing with responsive reads is you're marrying culturally authentic content selection with culturally authentic instruction. Mm 
And that marriage is so special. And I want to make sure that that we get to that piece. But before we do, let's talk about this book. So the season started out as a season about mentoring. But really, as I went through each episode, I found myself recognizing this is a season about belonging mm-hmm. at, at, at this idea of belonging to one another as educators. So I want to talk about the book that you've selected to reflect this notion of belonging. But before we do that, I, I want to th- have us think together about this notion of belonging in our work, both for the center and for responsive reads. Why is it do you think so important for us to create a space for our kids so that they know they belong? And and how how do we do that in ways that maybe traditional school does not? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think at the heart of everything and and you know, it's just like what basic basic human need mm-hmm. is to be loved and accepted. Mhm. Mm-hmm. for every person, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that our work and our work, we work, we work to show teachers that is that it's important, you know, if if the goal is and, and I and I believe, you know, I, I believe in and give every teacher the benefit of the doubt, sure, um, that they got into this work, because they want students, the students that they teach to be successful in life Mm -hmm. and, you know, and academically successful, but ultimately to have life success Mm -hmm. and to be able to navigate every situation with, with, you know, with success and feeling and feeling successful. Mm -hmm. And so if you get into, if, if that's why you got into teaching, then you come, you, you come into the room with, with love and appreciation and acceptance for your students. Mm-hmm. But that's not necessarily what happens when you get into the room and, and your, your experience, you are different than your students, your students' experiences, you know, there, there are lots of challenges arise when you, mm-hmm. when you get into the room. Right. Mm-hmm. And so in our work, we teach, we teach that, it's important to have an open mind and an open heart mm-hmm. and that you have to be willing to see your students differently, have acceptance and love for your students, and then talk to them differently, relate to them differently and teach them differently. Mm-hmm. And that's all about creating a space where students feel seen, loved, and accepted. Every student, but in particular, those students whose home cultures whose rings of culture do not match what is considered acceptable or correct or whatever you want to call it in terms of traditional schooling Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so it's important to to be able to teach them and talk to them and relate to them in a way where they can come into the classroom and be exactly who they are Mm -hmm. and still know that they can find a way to have success academically and then teach them this is how you're this is how you're going to be able to go out into the world and navigate in the world and find success being who you are Mm -hmm. but also being able to be situationally appropriate or globally dexterous Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's really what who, who wants to be in any situation in any 
in any place where they don't feel accepted or seen. No, yeah. like this is yeah. what creates issues. <laughs> totally. Right? Well, the right. cultural misunderstandings for sure. You know what? Oh, it, I, I always tell the story of this, this girl who I had a student who I had who came in the room once and she's like, that dress is not cute. And I had to have a moment where I was like, okay, pause. Are you saying that because you love me? And she said, yes, if I didn't love you, I wouldn't tell you. I just let you look not cute. Right, 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 <laughs> right, 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 right. And right, so right. then I say, okay, I, I really appreciate your direct communication. Hey, next right. time, could you tell me in private? Because that, that would make me feel a little bit more comfortable. <laughs> right, 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 right. And so right. I think what we're talking about here is the same thing that you were talking about with culturally authentic text. Love is in the nuance, yeah. right? Oh, absolutely. Thinking about cultural differences or just... You know, like our job, and, I, and I've lear I learned this very early on from when I first started teaching at Crenshaw, and I tell this story as my light bulb moment because a young, as a young teacher, I went into this class of like at Crenshaw High, at, at, in the height of like the gang, the Crips and the Blood, you mm -hmm. know, and, and that, was a, that was a community I was in. And I had this great lesson. I was so excited about my lesson that was Langston Hughes. I created, I, you know, had this lesson ready and the kids were looking at me like, what? <laughs> we did not care. They did not care about that lesson. They did not care about Langston Hughes. And, and I'm thinking I'm doing something because I'm, I'm black. They're black. Yeah. yeah. But Langston there Hughes was some, is black. <laughs> right. Langston Hughes is black. It's all good. We all, all the blackness up in here, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, it was, they were not having it. And in that moment, I realized I need to do whatever I need to do to help them, to, to connect to them, first of all and let them know that I care about them being interested. Mm -hmm. Then I can bring them, then I can bring them to, to where I, I, I am with this excitement about Langston Hughes, mm -hmm. but it's not, it's not my job. It's, it's not their job to meet me where I am. Mm -hmm. It's my job to meet them where they are. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. my, what, whatever it I need to do, stand on my head, you know, so, <laughs> so I had to figure that out. And that was my, that was like the first time that I had to like, like responsive reads. Like I had to go, this is like before computers and before yeah. smartphones and all that. Yeah. And so I had to go and find, I went in and found lyrics to some NWA songs, mm -hmm. public enemy songs, uh, iced tea songs, because that is what they were interested in. That was what their, that was what reflected their experience and their thinking. And I created lessons from that. And, and, and from there, I was able to bring them to an interest in what Langston Hughes had to say, or what was going on in the Harlem Renaissance. Mm -hmm. But that's, it's our job to make them comfortable. It's our mm -hmm. job to go to where they are, not the other way around. Right, right. And too, and too often it's that way. Too often yeah. I, hear, I hear that. Especially because of what the system has told them about themselves as learners all oh, of this yeah. time, right? And, and as have people, to, as learners yes. and as human beings. Yes, 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 yes. So given the season really is about belonging and creating a place of belonging for one another as teachers, I, I want to think about what... A, an example of a culturally authentic text that would be really helpful for a teacher to bring into the classroom um, that's about belonging for our kids. And so what book do you have for us today that's a strong example um, of a culturally authentic text with belonging as a theme? 
so I have Harbor Me by Jacqueline Woodson. Everybody okay. knows Jacqueline Woodson, loves Jacqueline Woodson, but mm-hmm. Harbor Me is a great book. It's a, it's a book about a group of sixth graders at a public school in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. There are six students from very different backgrounds and experiences, but they've all been put in this self-contained classroom or special ed classroom, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. They, they're, in special, they're in special education classroom. And, and they, they say that specifically that, you know, like we're in the, in the special class. And so that first off caught my attention because we don't, there are not often um, books that sort of explicitly center um, special education students mm-hmm. or students who are in self-contained classes. And um, so they've been put in this, this self-contained class to see if that will help them academically. Mm-hmm. And so it's great because first of all, even though they're these six 11 year olds, 11, 12 year olds that are in this special education class, that that's the, the focus is on their life experiences, right? It doesn't just, you know, center on them being special ed students, even though we know that from the outset, but it really focuses on who they are and them creating and finding a sense of love and acceptance of each other and, and really finding a way to belong to one another in a very empowering way. Mm -hmm. And the, 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 the narrator of the text is a is a young um, girl named Haley, who is biracial, and she's being raised by her uncle because her mother has died and her father is incarcerated. Mm-hmm. And and it's she's a and she's a storyteller. She she learns that she's a storyteller through the text, and she's really interested in the stories of the of her classmates mm-hmm. and and sort of preserving it's like her goal to sort of preserve who they are and let them express and and express who they are and preserve um, their perspectives and and their stories as they as they move through this and, and it's really a, an experiment sort of that their teacher Ms. Laverne a teacher decides that you know she has them all day every day and she's going to put them in this room called the art room and let them talk to one another. And so that's sort of the gist of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but they, they find a way, um, they find a way from, you know, starting off as, as adolescents do awkward and sort of reticent mm-hmm. about like what's happening here. Um, <laughs> but then they find a way and, and actually, um, Haley tells a story that Ms. Ms. Laverne does this lesson where she talks about the Lenape people that, that were the indigenous people in the area of New York that they're in. And she tells the story of how they were, how their land was taken from them. And she asked them, she says, you know, we're on land that belonged to the Lenape people. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you were here at that time, would you fight alongside them to keep their land? Or would you be one of the people trying to take their land from them she asked them that question Mm -hmm. and she and she and she gives them the charge and she says to them you need to ask yourselves every single day if the worst thing in the world happened will I help protect someone else 
Would I let myself be a harbor for someone who needs it? And mm-hmm. she says, this is what I want you to think about. You, you need to ask yourself that question every day. And so that mm-hmm. sort of, that sort of sets up how they kind of move through the story and not only, not only find a way to belong to one another, mm-hmm. but harbor one another and stand mm-hmm. up for one another and have each other's back. And so mm-hmm. it's a That's great, beautiful. great story. That's yeah, beautiful. And you mentioned instructional supports, and I know Harbor mm-hmm. Me is on your website as an example of that. Um, mm-hmm. What kinds of things do you offer teachers in addition to the recommendation of this book? What else comes along with, with your recommendations as far as instruction goes? Well, so on the website, I offer suggestions for ways to, to make the teaching CLR. And this is really important because... Well, teachers who we work with often ask like, well, you know, what, what can I do? But I, but I think it's not just, it's not just good enough to find responsive text and read them with our students. Because if we're reading, if we're getting these books and we're reading them, but we're still teaching them in a traditional way or still teaching them from the perspective of, you know, traditional schooling or mainstream culture, then it doesn't, it doesn't help. It doesn't, it doesn't work. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I offer suggestions on the text, but I am going to be, um, there is going to be an offering of a unit, uh, a curriculum guide Mm -hmm. that we're going to be offering at responsive reads for Harbor Me. So on your website, you've got book suggestions and why they're culturally authentic. Do you explain that? So, okay, good. And then then you have some sample things that you could do with them. But for mm-hmm. some books, you're also going to have a curriculum guide. Yes, correct. Yes. And that's Harbor Me is going to be the first one? Yes, Harbor Me is going to be the first one. Well, that's very yes. exciting. You heard it here <laughs> first, everybody. All right. <laughs> so every season, Lydia, we're going to have you back to talk about a different book that aligns in some way with the season that we're talking. Okay. Um and so uh, you'll be a featured guest every season. We're very excited for that. Yeah, I'm um, excited also. Yeah. So we ask three questions to everybody who's on, no matter who they are or why they're here. So I'm going to mm-hmm. ask you those three questions now. Okay. First of all, do you have a favorite hype song for a good day of teaching? Yes, I do. I do. I love this question. And I actually, I actually have two, but... I, I, I went back to, um, you know, a one, two that I used to play every morning, um, alternate every morning. And so the first is All I Do Is Win, DJ Khaled. All I mm-hmm. do is win, 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 no matter what. <laughs> Got I learning on song. my mind. I can never give it up. So, <laughs> that, that's, so that's, that's one. And then um, Good Day by the Nappy Roots, mm. which I love. And, it you know, it's it's... The, the, you know, obviously DJ Khaled is really hype. It gets you, gets you hype and gets you in the mood to win and just pump yourself up. Mm-hmm. Good day is, is a feel good song, but it's like, when I think about it, it's, it's feel good. And it has the nuances. The lyrics of that song have the nuances of black culture, it, mm-hmm. you know, really nuanced black culture. And it's again, one of those things like where you read a line, you know, um, he, he talks about, having his hair like you know, having his hair lined up. Like and that and that's like a nuanced thing, even though, you know, like hair would be considered a superficial 
it, it's it's just like a nuanced thing, which you know, for black boys, this it's like an immediate connection. Yes. But yes. there's also this. There's also they talk about, you know, um, kind of like Ice Cube's Good Day song, um, that it's going to be a good day because nobody um, nobody's going to die today. Mm-hmm. And so it, it it sort of touches just a lot of a lot of, uh, notes, um, you know, when, when, you know, I hear that and it it has this sort of like uplifting Annie, like it should be in the musical Annie, (laughs) um, but it, but it, it, you know, it's feel good, but it's also very authentic in terms of the black community for a lot of, a lot of reasons. So those were my two. I love it. and, And good day. That is by far the best answer we've had yet this season. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So uh, there's a song I love by a group called the Indigo Girls. And there's a line in it that says, if you have a care in the world, you have a gift to give. And it makes me really think hard about this idea of schools. And there's not one thing to be done, right? All of us need to bring our particular care to the table like a puzzle piece and and put our piece down and put all of our pieces together if we're going to really recreate schools in a way that serve our kids. So um, I, I ask all of our guests to think about what what is the care that you have that you care so much that it's become your gift, that it's going to be your puzzle piece that you put down. Is it... Um, is it, is it responsive reads or, or, and, or is there another element that you think you break that's really important? I think it's responsive reads. Um, I think it's responsive reads. And even, even though that, that job is getting easier than it was, you know, 10 years ago, certainly with social media and bookstagram and, and, um, so many things that have happened that have kind of pushed, um, pushed readers, BIPOC readers, marginalized people, you know, books buying about marginalized groups have been pushed sort of to the forefront, you know, via Jason Reynolds and Angie Mm -hmm. Thomas and, and, and so many, so many others. Um, So I think that that's still the job, but I also really think that one of the, one piece that I bring is, and this is something that I ask teachers when I'm coaching them and when I'm observing in rooms is who, who are the students, who is the student or are the students who might not have felt seen today, Mm. who didn't get called on today, who fly under the radar. And like, this is something that you should be thinking about every single day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There, There are students who nobody is and it's and it's not an exaggeration. It's not a cliche. There are students who are in your room that nobody is gonna say their name today. Yeah, yeah. Nobody is going to require that they participate in a way that's meaningful for them. Mm-hmm. And so, are you thinking of? Are you thinking about that? Right? Mm-hmm. Are you mm-hmm. thinking about who is uncomfortable? So many teachers tell us how uncomfortable they are with something. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I I almost said a curse word, but (laughs) it's okay. We we curse really. I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck if you're uncomfortable. Yeah. Teaching is hard and jobs of teachers are hard, but I'm not, 
who is the student, who is the child that is uncomfortable every single day? And that I think is the piece that I need to bring when I'm talking to teachers, teachers mm-hmm. and whoever. I'm not concerned with you being uncomfortable because you're an adult and you need to get over it. <laughs> which, which students in your classroom are uncomfortable all the time? Which mm-hmm. ones are feeling invisible all the time? Mm-hmm. And just reminding teachers of that. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, and then the last question harkens back to the title of our series, The Copy Room, because I know um, you and I started teaching before the internet, right? So the copy <laughs> yes. room yes. was yes. like yes. it. Yes. I don't know yes. if the young ones spend as much copy room time as no, we do. I'm but So let's let's just think back to our days as young teachers in the copy room and I'm cutting strips and you're punching holes and someone is trying to talk to the machine to make sure it doesn't break. Um, as you're exiting, what are you going to leave us with uh, to, to make our day a little more thoughtful, a little more um, fun? What, what would you leave us with as you exit the copy room? Oh, my gosh. Um, I'm thinking of, um, you know, I, I think of I, when you immediately said that, I was thinking of my mentor, my mentor teacher, um, somebody that I still talk to from time to time, Cassandra May, who just always found a way to make us laugh, Mm -hmm. right? No matter what was going on, she would say something that would get a belly laugh from Mm -hmm. all of us. Mm -hmm. And she would do it for us and she would do it for the students, right? Mm -hmm. We would just be cracking up. And so (laughs) I, I think... I think my my thought is as I leave the copy room, um, if f- find a way find a way to laugh. You ha- you mm-hmm. have to find a way to laugh and and to bring that kind of you know that kind of joyful laughter to your colleagues, to yourself, and to your students. Mm-hmm. Whatever whatever that is, whatever mm-hmm. that is. Let's mm-hmm. let's have a, let's let's laugh at something. Let's laugh at something. That. I love that. I've been thinking so much this year about normalizing joy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that. I love absolutely. It. Well, Lydia, you do not disappoint, my friend. Thank you so much for being with us. Your gift. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your precious time with us. My hope is it gave you some respite from your worries and some time to remember that we belong to one another and that there's no such thing as other people's children. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. These three things make a big difference in our ability to connect teachers to one another in service to each other and our kids. We also want to thank Dirt Path Publishing for partnering with us on this podcast. The mission of Dirt Path is to publish work for social good. They are proud to include copy room conversations under that banner. For more information on coaching and editing services, or if you have a book you want to publish that you know will serve the greater good, visit dirtpathpublishing.com.